This morning I'm going to read uh, from two portions in, in the Gospel of Mark. And again, when, when, when I'm sharing this morning is just uh, uh, God's personal counsel to me. And he's the only one that can make it personal to you. And whatever you take out of it, you know, he's, and whatever he, re- he gives you and you receive uh, is for you. And because uh, the things that are revealed and uh, the secret things in Deuteronomy 29 29 belong to the Lord. There's many secret things. And some of the, a lot of those will be revealed. And I'm sure some will remain that way. Um, but those things that are revealed, it says, are ours and for our children also. And so I'm going to read in Mark the first chapter, and I'm going to read Mark the first chapter in the Amplified, and then I'm going to read Mark the fifth chapter in the King James. And then I'll go into uh, some of the original as God led me and counseled me personally this morning. And so, in Mark 1 and verse 17, it says, And Jesus said to them, Come after me and be my disciples, be my disciplined learners, my Mathetes, and I will make you, I will make you. Notice that. He does everything. He does every single thing as we just really, really concentrate this morning. I will make you to become fishers of men. And at once they left their nets. See, it was instant obedience. At once they left their nets, their natural occupation. They left it. And yielding up all claim to them, They completely discarded them and followed with him because we can't take those things that are of the natural and follow him. There will be the things that will trip us up in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So they followed with him, joining him as disciples and siding with his party. He went on a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat putting their nets in order. And immediately he called out to them, and abandoning all mutual claims, they left their father. Isn't that interesting? They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and went off after him to be his disciples, to side with his party and to follow him. And they entered into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, He went into the synagogue and began to teach. And they were completely astonished and overwhelmed. Completely astonished and overwhelmed at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who possessed authority. See, he's the one that possesses authority. He has all authority, all power. Possessing authority. That's why the Bible teaches, and we teach that Christ is our authority. No man is our authority but Christ. Based upon who he is in his person and what he's accomplished and what he delivers in terms of that teaching. He was one possessed who, who possessed authority. And notice what it says, and not as the scribes, all those that were natural interpreters of Christ without him. And interpreting God, but without Christ. Just at that time, there was in in their synagogue a man who was in the power of an unclean spirit. 
And now immediately he raised a deep and terrible cry from the depths of his throat, his throat saying, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? This is the, the demon spirit speaking through the man. And he said, I, and the demon said, I know who you are, meaning the demon was recognizing Christ as their creator. The Holy One of God. Notice he was the Holy One of God. That's what the angel Gabriel said and to the 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1, verse 35, Mary. He said, that Holy One that will be born of you will be the Son of the Highest. And, and uh, that Holy One, the Holy One of God. Now, notice that? The holiness that's of God, that's constituted of the very nature of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hush up, be muzzled, gagged, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit throwing the man into convulsions and screeching with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all so amazed and almost terrified that they kept questioning and demanding one of another, what is this? What new fresh teaching? What authority he gives orders even to the unclean spirits and they obey him. The unclean spirits obey him and only if we, those that are in Christ, would continue to do so, that they obey him. And then we go and I'll turn to in Mark, the fifth chapter. And I'm going to read Mark, the fifth chapter, verse 1. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. See, that's where he was dwelling. He was dwelling in the place of death, where the demons dwell, where there's separation from God, with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, that's where he lived, inhabited, and no man could bind him. No, not even with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. That's the unsaved man with his will. None can tame him. That's the flesh that's in the Christian that we're not of any longer in Romans 8 verse 9. None can tame that. None. And thank God for us, that flesh, that old nature in Romans 6, 1 through 6 has been crucified. And no wonder 6, 6, 9 through 11 right up to verse 14 will teach us the reality of that. No man could tame him. Notice this always night and day night and day, and what a picture. And I pictured myself back in the day, myself, back in the day, and whether I was born again or not, I didn't know, I made sure later on, but I know I was like this man. He was in the tombs, natural places, hanging around death, separated, and he was crying, crying out. And I remember walking the streets of Boston as an 18-year-old. And just crying out to God. And notice what it says. And he was cutting himself with stones. 
And that's all. And what, what do the unsaved do? What does the Christian do that still functions in the flesh? What does he cut himself with? Could it be drugs? Could it be alcohol? Could it be a plethora of different things? Could it be sex or pornography or any of these things that the enemy would use for the unsaved, but for the Christian to cut themselves, meaning to cut themselves off from their Savior. Notice what it says, though. It says, but, and I love this, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran, it says, and he worshiped him and cried, screeched with a loud voice and said, and this is again the demon speaking in and through him, what have I to do with you, Jesus? You son of the most high God, I adjure you by God that you torment, torment me not, meaning they know. And still in their deception, they know. James 2 verse 19 says, even the demons believe and they shudder. They tremble because they know they're going to come to a place where they will be tormented day and night in hell and then eventually in the lake of fire. Hell and the lake of fire is eternal. By the way, it is non-ending regardless of what others would teach. He cried with a loud voice, the demon, I adjure you. For he said unto him, come out of the man. He was separating the demon from the man. You unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered and said, my name is Legion. A Roman legion consisted of 6,826 men. 6,826 men. When we consider that the demonic force, when the dragon's tail in the type in, in Revelations 12 and verse 4, where the dragon was Satan and his tail, his, his authority, his lies, drew it a third of innumerable star, stars of heaven, the demonic powers, innumerable. So what would 6,826 do for one person? It's minimal, but it's more than enough. That's why it's so very necessary for us to constantly submit because in James 4, 6, God does resist the proud. He resists the pride in the Christian. He refuses to be humbled. He refuses to, to allow God's choice and others to be the ones that teach them truths that they so deeply want to know themselves. But apart from God's order and apart from humility. But he gives greater grace to those that he's humbled that then in that humility with that grace will allow the individual, especially Christians in this context, to submit himself to God. And then when he does, Christ in him comes in between that demonic force and the, the believer and he flees. And then we can draw near to God. That's why many can't. That's, that's why many can't because they're still in cahoots. And when we function in the flesh, we're functioning with unclean spirits. And then we can draw near to God, but there has to be submission. And this is what this was teaching here, even in this particular portion.
And that's when he said, what is your name? And he said, he said, my, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much. And, and he, <coughs> excuse me, as a leader of that multitude, who was speaking as one for that multitude, besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country, meaning back into the abyss to be tormented. And now there was nigh near to the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, approximately 2,000 swine. And all the devils besought him. I used to wonder so many times. I used to hear, well, there's only one, one devil and many demons. Yes, and that's correct. But who do they function under? Where do they derive their whole being now that they don't have Christ? from the one devil and that's why they're called devils that's why they're called devils and all the devils those demons that were under the devil as their father in John 8 verse 44 besought him saying send us into the swine that we may enter into them and forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down you see what they do see why they want to See why what they do to affect the unbeliever and how the enemy wants to affect a believer that lives in the flesh to do violence against them. You know, in John 10, 10a, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's intense violence and hatred. We need to cast all our cares as believers in 1 Peter 5, 7 upon him because he does care for us. Even when the enemy says he doesn't, he does care for us. Because we have an adversary, the devil, and he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may tear to shreds, tear to shreds violently and swallow down whole with those unclean spirits and those lusts of the flesh that we in the flesh are powerless against. He said, "My name." He said, "And, and all those demons, they went into the swine, and what did they do? They violently." ran down. So the enemy wants to do. For the Christian, experientially, violently keep them down. Violently. And to keep the unsaved, of course, in that unsaved state. Down a steep place. See, that's the place he wants the unsaved to continue to inhabit. A violent place that's down. The down place. The unclean place. And to keep the Christian, Christian, through a lack of submission or bad teaching or no teaching, to keep them in a place where they're constantly crying out day and night, but still haven't submitted. I remember I was like that. I was like that man in the tombs. And I, I remember in my state how I would cry out. I think of so, I thought of so many uh, believers this morning I thought of so many that I love deeply and I know and not in judgment or condemnation but in discernment how they cry out many that love him cry out cry out because they're powerless against the lusts of the flesh they're, they're powerless and they cry out day and night and they need a deliverer and they need proper teaching and they need a proper place that they can hide in 
They hide in Christ, yes, but a proper place in the local assembly where they can hide in safety and security. Not hide in the sense of not dealing with those things, but in a place where they can be dealt with and then hide safely and securely. securely, And then just to begin to rest, have a place of rest. See, because this man could never rest. Day and night he cried out. He had no place of rest. He was functioning in guilt and condemnation. And as a result, he was using stones to cut himself. And what does the enemy give to the unsaved to do so? The lies. He'll use this. This will help you. And he uses it to cut them to shreds. And the believer in the flesh to keep them away from teaching. And to convince believers that, that that's who they are in the flesh. And when the truth comes, that truth is against them so that he can keep them in bondage to continue to cut them with those lusts of the flesh. And I have felt these cuts. I think we all have in some measure. And thank God when we cry out, we cry, we're crying out to our Father and we can run boldly to the throne of grace. Not like this man because he had to receive Christ. And that he, cer- he, he, he certainly, I believe he certainly did. Because look what it says here. They ran violently down those, uh, those demons in, through those the 2,000 swine into the place of the sea and they were choked in the sea. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He want, for the Christian, he wants to choke the life out of the believer experientially. He can't touch the position, so he goes after the experience. And he wants to choke the life out so that they cry out again. They cry out again. They cry out again. And see, the thing is, believers and and precious ones, and that's who we are in Christ, in God's sight, precious ones, you cry out. You need to submit, and I need to submit my will. I need to allow him to humble me and to submit my will, to cry out for that same thing that I continue to go back to, that the enemy uses to cut me, to cut me, to make me react, to make me irritable, to make me unkind, to make me, to put me in a place where I don't receive the love and to have a proper experience and a proper image about who I am in Christ, who he's made me to be, something he made me to be that I could not do in myself. And that's why God always sees me and what only his son made me to be. While they were choked in the sea, and they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city in the country. That country is in this particular place. is that world system. Those still functioning under the world system. And they went out to see, to see what was done. And they came to Jesus to see him. That, they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. And look what he was doing. He was sitting. He was finally sitting. He finally could rest. For the first time in his whole life, he could rest now. And thank God we can. Zephaniah 3.17, we can rest right where God is resting. You know, God causes us to rest right where he is resting. He's resting in in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 in the son of his love. And that's where he's placed us. He's made us meet. He's qualified us in Colossians 1 and verse 12 to walk in the light in 1 John 1.7. 
And then he's transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness in Colossians 1 and verse 13 and set us in the resting place of the son of his love so that he can love us just like his son loves us. He was sitting finally and he was clothed instead of being naked like Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 8 to 12, they were naked. And even what they used to cover themselves, think something they could do nothing about, they made leaves to try and cover themselves. And they knew in his presence they were still naked. Until Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, would come and take away those fig leaves, crucify an animal which would point to his death on Calvary, and cover them with skins of that animal which was a type of Christ, putting on those robes of righteousness in Isaiah 61 and verse 10, that robe on the sun, the prodigal in Luke 15, 11 to 32, to put that on them. And those that we have to constantly put on in a proper experience in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. We put off the old continually experientially, put off the lie, and continually to put on the new, who we are truly in Christ. And that's putting on a proper image with proper clothes. And notice he was sitting in Mark 5 and verse 15, and he was clothed. And look, finally it says, and he was in his, he was in his right mind. Notice that? He was finally in his right mind. You know why? He was in his right place. And what was his place? He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, just like Mary was doing in Luke 10. Verse 38 to 42. She was sitting, resting at Jesus' feet and receiving the life that he had made hers. And she was receiving it. Just like we're doing this morning, the opportunity we have this morning that so many, hopefully, could do the same at some point. So many could join in and not just listen. And that's Thank God we can do that. But not just listen, but to come together and to do it. And when we can't thank God, I do thank God for those that can't and, and to, to hear this. But he was sitting and he was in his right mind. Look, and they were witnesses to that. And all it did was make them afraid. Why? Is there any fear in love? Is there any fear in God? Has God given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7? No, he's not, but of power and love and a right mind, a very disciplined mind. Because love casts out fear. Because he that fears lives in torment, torture, like this man. He was being tortured, tortured. Colossus, he was being tortured. And oh, how the enemy wants to keep those unsaved in bondage, torturing them, giving them things, and all it's doing is cutting them, cutting them off from God. What will he give then to the Christian to cut them off from God? Would it be the details of life? Would it be a job? What would it be to cut them off, separate from their Lord who loves them so deeply and desires that, that deep, intimacy and experiential relationship. Notice he was sitting. He was that. And they were afraid because they were still functioning under the power of the enemy. Fear. 
fear. In verse 16, and, and they saw that, that they, and they that saw it told them how it happened to him that was possessed with the, with the devil. And also concerning the swine. And look what they did. And they began to beg him and beseech him to get out of their place, to, to get out. Leave. Leave. They saw the miracle. They knew that man well. They knew him well. And they heard him screaming and crying out day and night. They heard it. Now they see him sitting with Jesus. And what do they want Jesus to do? To leave. Leave. There's no room for him. They want no room for him in their life. And neither do the unsaved under the enemy. And neither does the flesh and the Christian. The flesh and the Christian that we're not of, in Romans 8, 9, don't want room for Christ. And they'll fight it. They'll fight the word. They'll fight it. Because the enemy will keep them in the flesh to cause them to do so. And to think that what's coming from God and God's order is against them. Totally against them when he's for them. They wanted him out. And when he was and when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil beseeched him that he might be with him. Oh God. Oh boy. But Jesus allowed him not, but said unto him, Go home. I want you to go home. And I want you to tell your friends, and it's really not your friends, it's your family those closest to you and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and had compassion on you. You know, our family that are unsaved and that we're not sure of, you know, we need to tell them what great things God has done for us. That should be the measure of our conversation and the means of our even being with them and not sustaining a natural relationship because we don't want to offend them. As God leads, and he's lead, he, he will lead. He will lead to do that. And I'm sure a lot of us have. A lot of us have. But again, in this particular portion here, as we look at it, and we begin to uh, wrap this up slowly but surely. It says th there, in, in Mark 5, verse 4, he said he was often bound continually. Continually. And in the original, and uh, we don't, I don't have to explain all these, but it was a perfect passive infinitive. And what that simply means is he was in a state of completion, meaning there's no way he was getting himself out. And there was no way any other man other than God himself through Christ could get him out. No man could do it. Do you see that? No man can do it. No man. Man, man can lead you to Jesus. In John 12, verse 21, they said, oh, please. They said to Philip, they looked at Philip and said, you know, we would see Jesus. Can you lead us to him? We want to see him. He was often bound, just like all of us. Did you know those, flesh, those fleshly uh, passions, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in Genesis 3 and verse 6 and 1 John 2 and verse 16. Those things still reside in the flesh. They don't change even though we're not of it. And we go back to a place again of being often bound. We've, we've said before, 
we've said before in Proverbs 26 and verse 11, it says the dog returns to its vomit. That's what the enemy wants the believer to do. Return to the vomit of the flesh. Return. Go right back. See, because when we're not going forward, we're not going forward. We're going back. There's no neutrality in the scriptures. So he was often bound, this man, was in a state of completion. It was perfect. It was passive. He was helpless, passive. And that was a good place to be, though. God has to bring us to this place like he's brought him in each area of our growth to a place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. We no longer, we, we teach it like this by, by, through the word as the Holy Spirit has taught me and taught all of us together. If you want to be disappointed, look to others. Try and make them something you don't have in yourself that only Christ can give. If you want to be disappointed, look to others. If you want to be discouraged, you look for, within. You want to be encouraged, you look to Christ. But he was bound with chains, hand and foot. But all to no purpose. He had no purpose. See God's purpose in Romans 8, verse 28. All things work together for God's divine good, agathos, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And read, read the rest right down through the end of the 39th verse. But here it is. He was bound. And he would break these things in pieces, but still be bound again. Break them and be bound again. Break them and be, he, and be, be bound again. And all he did was continue to roam with his will, unfettered. And all we can do when our will's not submitted, it's just roam. The enemy looking for a place. And of course we know that once we're born again, the enemy can never possess a believer. He, he, can, never, he can never possess a believer, ever. He can never be possessed, but he can certainly be obsessed or oppressed. That's why in Psalm 62 and verse 5, my soul waits you upon God Wait you upon God, for from Him comes my expectation. You're going to wait on someone else? Or are you going to wait on Him? That word wait is synonymous with the word trust, and that leads to proper worship. My soul wait you upon God, for from Him comes my expectation. And then He's going to teach us in Psalm 62, verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, and pour out your heart to Him. Be more concerned with pouring out your heart to him who will never misunderstand you, never judge you, and be careful who you pour your heart out to. And be careful what you pour out to them. Be careful what you hear in Mark 4, verse 24. Be careful how you hear in Luke 8, 18. And be, be more ready to hear rightfully in James 1, verse 19 and verse 20 then what you pour out there would be fellowship and request for prayer in that particular sense. But this man was roaming about un with his will uncontrollably. And that's all we can do. 
when we're not in a proper place, when we don't have, listen, when we don't have proper preaching and teaching, listen, when we don't have a proper place where we're fed continually in that one place. Because if I don't understand the one place in local assembly, I will put my, even as a Christian, I will put myself out, I will put my ear out to hear everything. To hear it all. That's why God calls us to a proper place in a local assembly because it's a place of protection and safety. That's what it is. I used to, in my early years, when I first began to to, uh, pastor in in Tampa, Florida in 1990, beginning of 1990, and I would pastor very precious people. We had precious people in very beautiful, intimate fellowship. I would have some of those young believers and some of them would say, yes, pastor, I listen to Christian radio all day long. And let me tell you, I told them very carefully, please, please be very careful about doing that. Okay. God calls you to a specific place because there's all kinds of teaching out there, all kinds of different kinds, all kinds of different interpretations. And that's why Christians, we need to hear where God has called us to receive the word. And not bypass that and give our ear over to other things and think that it's okay. He was like he was like a wild lion, because he was being led by the lion in first Peter five eight, because he had captured his will. The enemy had captured his will. That's what he he did. And that's why teachers and, and preachers and teachers we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God first. You no, know, we're rightly related with Him before we even open our mouth. That's why it's necessary in Acts 6-4 for leaders, especially pastors and teachers, to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the proper ministry of the Word. Again in Acts 6-4. And then, the servant of the Lord in 2 Timothy 2 verse 5, after he's given himself over to the Lord, must not strive, but be gentle. Apt to teach means highly skillful. Apt to teach. And knowing how to teach those who are opposing themselves. And sometimes when we need to be patient. And sometimes when young folks are functioning in their flesh. And they think that you're opposing them with your teaching and preaching. And they think that maybe God is opposing them. When in reality the enemy has captured their will. And causing them to oppose themselves. Because they're led away captive by Satan's will in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. That's why it's so necessary to have precise preaching and teaching through the Word of God. And that speaks of a proper place. And God calls us to a proper place based upon our capacity. There's no question about that. He calls us to a proper place based upon our capacity. And sometimes if when we don't go forward in promotion from fifth grade to sixth grade, we have to go back to the fifth grade again and be retaught. And again, you'll see that in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, the first principles again, over and over again. Because in the flesh, I think I knew them. I want to skip them over. I'm not interested in those. I think I've arrived. And how fatal and how dangerous that is. So he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Finally, though, when he saw Jesus afar off 
as we said, he ran. Then he worshipped. He worshipped. You know, I remember in some of the deepest times of my life, in some of my deepest struggles, I remember there were times in Florida, in some of the deepest, my deepest struggles, I would walk eight miles a day. And I would be crying out, crying out. And the verse would come to me in Psalm 76 and verse 10, where it says this, the, he makes the wrath of man to praise him. This is what happened. Maybe his first intention, being led by that demon, was wrath, hatred against God, wrath. But you know what? You run to him, and I can tell you how many times he's turned the wrath of the flesh, the misunderstanding, the questions, he turns it into praise. And then it says the remainder he restrains, which means he only uses the wrath that will, will literally turn to his praise. The rest he does away with, thank God. Thank God for that. And then he threw himself. That's what the Greek says. He threw himself, himself at Jesus' feet. And you know what he said to him? He said, he calls Jesus here, you are the Son of God. You are the Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High, you're the one that tests everyone. You're the test. You're the test. And then Jesus said to him, again, he called out to them, to the legion. He said, what is, what is your name? And, he, and they said, legion. Legion. Why? Because we're many. Again, a Roman legion, as was said, is 6,826 men in one legion. What is that to an innumerable host that you can't even number? Do you realize and do I realize the invisible atmosphere that comes against us? How powerless we are without submitting our will, without proper teaching, without a proper place, and the danger of functioning in the flesh. How dangerous it can be. And how he so wants to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to steal away your intimacy. He wants to kill your capacity and thereby destroy you. Oh, how he wants so many to do away, to commit suicide, which is the height of pride, by the way. Suicide. It is the height of pride. And some of these booklets, like we'll get into these, some of these things, and I believe that God does want them uh, printed. I really do. A number of different ones and we need constant prayer about that because because I face and anyone else that's else that's involved in it even in prayers and is you're going to have a host of an, invis an invisible host coming against you but you know what I say God before us who's a, who can be against us when we submit see Romans 8 31 to 39 speaks of a will submitted all things working together for the good to them that love God speaks of a will submitted it speaks of obedience and love that was first loved being returned in Romans 8, 28. And we need to pray. Oh boy, we do. We need to pray. And we need to pray for each other. And I need your prayers. And you need my prayers. Because the enemy doesn't want it. He wants to keep others in bondage and keep them cutting and using things to cut them, to cut them off from God. Cut them off from the Savior and, and believers to cut them off from intimacy and deep desire of Christ in his desire of intimacy with each of us. Name was Legion. 
Well, we know they ran down. And you know what we read here, and it just amazes me. Here are the unsaved, and they see their witnesses, just like the Pharisees. Do you know those Pharisee scribes and Essenes, prior to Christ coming? And we've said this before, and I know Mike and I have shared this before. You know, the scribes and Pharisees and the Essenes, who all hated each other as separate religious people, who hate, couldn't stand each other, never had a problem with God until he put on humanity. <laughs> never had a problem. Never had a problem. And then Jesus could see right through them. He gave them just as much opportunity as he did the harlot, the tax collector, the down and outer, the little fisherman. There were eyewitnesses to the, you read the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, read them. They were eyewitnesses to what Jesus was doing, the miracles of people being healed. And all they wanted to do was kill him. Oh my God, the unsaved mind, how insane it is. How insane and sick is the flesh that's in the believer that we're not of. Oh, the problems and the cuttings. Well, in this clash, and this is what it came, it became a clash. And this, I love what Jesus did. I love what he did, where he sent those demons into the swine. Because you know what they were doing? This is what they were doing. In the clash between business, oh God help us, between business, and I'm talking for the unsaved and the saved, the born again. In the clash between business and spiritual welfare, business came first with them as often as it does today. Jesus dealt with it. Really? He dealt with it. Just like he did. You know what they were doing? Just like today, the enemy making Christianity a business. Making it a business. And I see it all over. Remember what Jesus did? In first John the and in John the second chapter, he went into the temple where they were selling. They were selling spiritual things, taking spiritual things and making money of them, a business in the temple. And Jesus, and I want I want us to have the right picture of Jesus, by the way. First of all, I'm just telling you again, he never had long hair. I want to make that crystal clear. He wouldn't write through the Spirit, which was one with him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. He never had long hair. I want to make that crystal clear. And I also want to make crystal clear, he wasn't what the Byzantine period was like this. He wasn't some effeminate fairy. He was a man. He was a carpenter without power tools. But he was so gentle. A man's man. He walked everywhere. He was a strong man. To the point where, when it says he was flipping those tables over, those tables weighed, some of them weighed 600 pounds, and he was flipping them over. Because they were making him to be something that could be bought and sold. 
just like today in Christianity. And it's not true Christianity, that's Christendom. That's the worldly business entering into the church and making it a business, making it something you have to strive for, get a certain degree to attain something so you can reach a certain level. It's a business. I know that those fishermen, they considered to be, them to be in Acts 4 verse 13, unlettered men, unworldly. They weren't in high society functioning. That wasn't their place. They were unlettered too. They were uneducated. But they knew they had been with Jesus. Oh yeah. They knew they had been with Jesus. But you know, business came first, just like it does today. Oh God, don't ever let business come. Money, filthy lucre. You'll see that in 1 Peter 5. Three and four, we don't do this for filthy lucre's sake, for money, for charge. No, sir. No, sir. And I do believe, I do believe in faithful giving. I want to make that crystal clear in the scriptures. And by the way, that's something that should be taught. Giving. Because if you don't, you're robbing people. You're robbing them of an intimate fellowship in that sense. That should be taught. but it came first with them. And in all three of those Gospels, the Synoptics, they all desired and begged for Jesus to leave. Because when you're doing business, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room for him. Just like at the feasts, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He had to be born in a manger. Listen, because there was no room for them where all the Pharisees and all the high religious ones were celebrating those feasts that pointed to Jesus Christ himself who was born in a manger. You know what a manger was? He was born in something where angel, where, where animals went to the bathroom and he was born out of some, in something where, where those animals fed. Our precious Lord, because there was no room for him. And I know one thing. I want him in my life to make room for me, uh, make room in me for Jesus. And that's what he's doing with us. But he can't, Jesus can't move in until the help of self and the hope of self moves out. He's making room for us. And all they did was fear the power of Jesus and wanted no further interference with their business affairs. Oh, God. You know what? That's where the church is, unfortunately, today. And I'm not saying that as any authority. I am speaking Christ when he said in Revelations 3 and verse 14, the end of church history. This is where we are right now, the latest in age. They're rich. They have need of nothing. They had, there's no room for Jesus anymore. You see that in Revelations 3, 14 to 22. They feared, and they didn't want it. Don't interfere with my business. And some Christians think they have business outside of a local assembly. I got news for you. And I said it again in love, in love, strongly. Don't ever think that you, and, and it's not that Christians can't have fellowship. I, I know godly women, I do in my life, 
that do have godly fellowship. I know, like Barbara, a, de a dear friend of mine, a godly woman, who, who uh, you ever get in her, her presence, you'll have godly fellowship. You will. I guarantee you. But we do have to be careful what we make of that to make it something that's separate from a local assembly. And that's the thing we were talking about yesterday without any condemnation or accusation, but in forceful, strong, a strong manifestation of love. Well, we're going to close with this. He told this man instantly, instantly, who was sitting in his right mind. What a picture. Sitting, clothed and in his right mind. They saw that, and all it did was cause them anger and fear. Instead of being, you know how the flesh in us, we, we, we see what God's doing in believers, and when we're in the flesh, do we love it? No, it'll interfere with our business. And God forbid, God forbid. Thank you, Lord, for those that are hungry and for keeping us hungry. And, and Barbara and I, we said this for many, many years. We, we said, we used to think that God had to bring believers to bring us to the, to the place of hunger. I believe we're at the place, he, literally, in our country, and he's doing it, bring us to the place of starvation. And that's, that's, that's quite a place because we can turn to him or turn to, to eat any other thing. And we, we need, this is why we need teaching. And this is what he did. He sent this man he said, and that man wanted to go with him. And this is what he said, no. Go to your own folks, your own family, your own friends. And it's very necessary to be sent. I want to make that crystal clear too. I want to make that clear. And if you have a loved one or you have someone that you love or they love you, don't allow them to counsel you. You be the initiator especially if it's a relationship and you believe that God has given you love. You initiate. You never allow them to counsel you, to tell you what you should do, where you should go, and how long you should be in a certain place, by the way. Utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. Because you have to remember, who does the enemy go after? A woman that's not covered. Eve. And then the, the man has the option. Either lead the woman or submit and role reversal. And join her and think he's doing it because he loves her, which has got nothing to do with love at all. It's just sentimentality, which has its roots in pride. Go to your own folks, he said. Go to them. Why? Because there was no people that needed that message about Christ more than those same people who were begging Jesus to leave. Maybe you can't fellowship with him. And I, I don't think young people should go anywhere for quite a while. For quite a while. They shouldn't go anywhere for quite a while. And you have to remember a Jew was not even, a, ma a male Jew was not even determined to reach manhood until the age of 35 to 40, literally. That's why approximately at the age of 35, and that's what I believe Paul Saul was when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. He was approximately 35. And by the time he was in the prisons and to, to have his head 
uh, eliminated from his body by Nero, the emperor Nero. He was uh, 67 years of age. So we'll close with this. He said, go, because they're the ones that need it the most. You must be sent. And if you can't, the greatest thing that we can do is pray. The enemy wants to, he, so much for men, men, leaders, men, 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 prayer. Oh God. First Timothy 2.8, I wish men, and men there is not anthropos. It's on air. It's males specifically. I wish that males would lift up holy hands. What's that? I have nothing in my hands, Lord. You only have what, it, what is needed. And I don't even know how to pray, but you, you, I want to join in with you in how to pray. Lift up holy hands. And when you do, holy, clean, you're clean. You're confessed up to date in 1 John 1, 9 and James 4, 8. You're clean. And you lift up holy hands now because your experience is holy. It's equal to your position. And then there will be no wrath and there'll be no doubting. But we doubt when our hands aren't holy, when there's something about the business of the flesh that gets in the way. We better make sure, truthfully, in all honesty and humility, that what we're doing is of God. Because we'll have, we'll have peace. And so he said, go there. Because Jesus said, I've greatly blessed you and given you everything you need to pour out to them and to be a witness for Christ there. Because you can do it there. You can do it there. And in closing, here we are in the specific area where we are. And in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, there's a great and effectual door open which, which spoke of the preaching and teaching of Christ. And then there were many adversaries. Are the adversaries in your life when God tells you to go forward? You know that it's right from God when you're going forward when, when there's adversaries. Because if you weren't in God's will, you think he'd bother you. He wouldn't bother you a bit. Wouldn't bother you a bit. The adversaries aren't the reason for you to leave. They are the very proof that you need to stay. I want to make that crystal clear too. And when I say that, when I say I want to make that, I, I, I literally, as God's making this crystal clear to me. And please know I'm not speaking these things. It's, I, I just trust that God the Holy Spirit is taking the things of Christ and speaking through me, to me, and through me to all of us together. We're all in this place together. And thank you that we can be in this place, as, as Mike's prayer was, that we can be in this place. And oh, Father, I just pray as we close that even in my heart, when I share, that I never mix my flesh with our precious Jesus so that it grieves the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30 or quenches him in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. Father, thank you that we have, have been able to gather here together. When we couldn't meet in person, we could still in spirit gather together. Father, thank you for this, this beautiful day, this precious opportunity. Again, we just pray for for Cynthia and Jodiel at this particular time. Just protect them, cover them, lead them, guide them. Father, in Jesus' precious name. Can't wait to see him again and miss him deeply. I think it's, I don't know, it's only been a few days, but it seems like a few months already. And our precious, precious family in Texas, 
whom we're so one with and who we love so deeply, every single person there. And just continue uh, to lead those precious folks uh, through Mike of you, ra you raised up in this oneness that we have together. What a provision. We just thank you and praise you for this time, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.